Good morning, everyone. Welcome. So grateful that you're here, those in the sanctuary, those joining us at home, specifically my wife, Karen. Hi there. Uh, for those of you that wonder, uh, she had surgery this week and is home recovering, doing fine, but uh, the medication makes her sleep, and she didn't think it was appropriate to sleep in church. So uh, she's home recovering, but she's doing fine. There's a couple of you who had asked me, by the way, so let me just say up front from now until the end of time, I dress like this not to dress fancy or to impress anybody. I dress because this is warmer. And in these temperatures, it's cold. And so uh, it is. It's freezing out there. So I, I want to dress warm. Um, last week, we began to look at this huge theme that makes up the centrality of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's the theme of grace. But even as I alluded to last week, one of the things that concerns me is that a lot of us, and by us I mean us Christians, a lot of us believe and revel in the truth of God's saving grace, but we're not real good at living in sustaining grace. Uh, we recognize God saved us by His grace at the beginning, but somehow we feel like now the onus, the weight, the pressure is upon us to live up to that instead of what it means to live by grace day by day. Paul experienced it. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15.10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Well, that sounds a lot like Paul is saying what our struggle is. Our struggle is we keep working hard to earn grace. But that's not where Paul ends. Paul goes on to say, yet not I... In other words, not my efforts, not my hard work, but it's the grace of God which was in me, which enabled me to do that kind of work. So what we're going to do today is I want to look at the truth that God started it all, but God's also the one who holds it all together for us. He sustains it in us. If you're taking notes, this is kind of like the theme for me throughout this entire series that we're doing on grace. It's this. It's all grace or it's not grace at all. It's all grace. Or it's not grace at all. Paul says in Romans 4, and that's the section we're going to kind of live in for the rest of our time today. Romans chapter 4 and verse 1, if you're turning in your Bibles. Romans 4, 1. What then shall we say? That Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But, him, but to him who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Now, if you've never ever done anything wrong, this section of Scripture isn't going to relate to you very well. But if any of you, any of you in this room have ever done anything wrong at all, this scripture is your call a friend lifeline. Because here, Paul says, God, God himself justifies the ungodly. God justifies the ungodly. And it's all by grace and it's not by works. Now, it's important for us then to make a distinction this morning. I want to make a distinction between grace 
and legalism. Or another way of saying it is between grace and legalistic religion. And the reason why it's so important is that you look at everything through the lens of one or the other. It's like every one of us in this room have on a pair of sunglasses. You either have on a pair of red sunglasses that cause you to see grace through the blood of Christ, or you have on a pair of gray sunglasses where you look at everything through the law. Now, let me give you another word for legalism because nobody wants to say they're legalistic. And that is the word perfectionism. Or we might call it excellence. Like I would tell people, I'm not a perfectionist. I like to do things with excellence. But the truth is, when you boil it all down, there's something in me that's prone towards perfection. And here's the problem with perfectionism. God has established an order in the universe. And it's simply this. If you're going to keep the law, you have to keep the whole law perfectly. Remember, it's God who said, be perfect as I am perfect. So I mentioned last week that if you were to ask people on the streets downtown, how do you get to heaven? They would say one of two things. They would either say, be good or be better. But the problem with that thinking is, God's theology doesn't allow for it to be good or be better. God's theology is, be perfect. If you break one part of the law, you broke the whole law. That's what James tells us. James 2.10 says this, The person who keeps every law of God, but makes one little slip, is just as guilty as the person who has broken every law that there is. And I know somebody here is going to say, well, that's kind of unfair, Pastor. That, that's a paraphrase. That's from the Living Bible. What's the real Bible say? What's the King James say? Well, here's what it says. Whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. You see, God's standard is perfection. Not just good and not just better. And we all know we're not perfect and never will be. So what's our solution? Well, it's Romans 4.3. says this. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So what I want to give you today is three points. Three points from that one Scripture, Romans 4.3. My three points are this. Number one, Abraham believed God. Number two, that belief was credited to his account. Number three, for righteousness. And what I want to do is I want to look at those three points in reverse order. So I want to start first with for righteousness. Now, if I were to say that um, Dan Rhodes, Dan, could you stand up for a second? Thank you. If I were to say that Dan was righteous, Dan was a righteous man, what would you think that actually meant for Dan? Some of you would say, well, it means he basically is a good guy. He does good work. He, he probably, he's, he's mostly nice to his kids and to his wife, mostly. Uh, he works and he earns a living and actually provides for his family. Um, maybe he even comes to church and maybe he even puts some money in the box when he goes out the door. And for many of us, we would say, that, that, that's... Dan being a righteous man. But my question is very simply this. Is Dan righteous because he does those things or does he do those things because he's righteous? Let me ask it again. Does Dan do those things because he's righteous or is he righteous because he does those things? Dan, you can sit down now because you're, you've stood long enough. What is righteousness? There's, that's the difference, honestly. What I've just said is the difference between grace and and legalism. It's, it's the recognition 
that Dan is already righteous because of what God has done. And because of that righteousness that's put into his soul, he begins to do righteous things. And that's the difference. Uh, righteousness is very simply right standing with God. It's right standing. It, it's your position in God. As much as Dan doing all of those things that I delineated is commendable, it's laudable, it's good even, none of those things make him righteous. Let me say it again. As much as all of the good things you do are good, they're commendable, they're laudable, not one of them makes you righteous before God. The only thing that makes you righteous before God is having right standing with Him, which is what you get by faith in Jesus Christ and the grace that He affords to you. Now, let me ask it this way. Can an unrighteous man do a righteous deed? Um, let me put it like this. Let's say there's this guy who's an ungodly guy who doesn't know Jesus at all. He goes to work that day, and the first thing his boss does is he calls him in and says, you've been doing really well here. You've been in this company long enough. We're going to give you a promotion and a raise. And this guy is just thrilled about all of that. So at lunchtime, he decides to take a walk just to kind of process his good fortune. And as he's walking along, some kids next door hit a ball over a fence, and it hits his foot. He looks down at the ball. He picks it up. He kind of smiles, and he throws it back over to him and says, have a good game, guys. He walks along for a little bit longer and he sees a guy who's homeless sitting on the sidewalk asking for help. And the guy says, well, I tell you what, I'll take you into this restaurant. You can sit with me and we'll have lunch together. And he buys him some lunch. He moves along a little bit and he sees an old lady trying to cross the street, but cars aren't stopping. So he takes her by the arm and he helps her across safely and gets her to the other side. Are those all righteous deeds? Yeah, those are good things. Those are good things. But do they make him righteous? But let me ask it another way. Let's say there's a good guy. Let's pick on Ed Bennett. Ed's a good guy. He, he, he does really well in life. He loves God. He loves his family. He loves his kids. He, he is a man who loves God. But he goes to work at, uh, where do you work? Oh, yeah, Morton Salt. He goes to Morton Salt, and he has a bad day. His supervisor yells at him for something that's not even his fault, and he finds that he has gotten a sliver, and it's just it's bothering him. He's just in a bad mood that day. He woke up on the wrong side of the bed. He finally decides, I better process this a little bit. He goes out for a walk. And on this walk, some kids next door hit a ball over a fence and it hits his foot. He looks at that ball and he throws it into a passing garbage truck. He walks along a little bit more and there's a guy in Silver Springs who's begging for help. And Ed looks at him and yells at him and says, get a job, you lazy bum. And he sees a lady crossing the street or trying to cross the street over in Silver Springs because you know it's such a traffic jam over there. He try, he, and he sees this lady, but he realizes he's late for work, so he rushes across the crosswalk, and he bumps her and knocks her down into a mud puddle. Are those righteous deeds? Here's my question. Did the righteous deeds the unrighteous guy did make him righteous? No. Did the unrighteous deeds that the righteous man did make him unrighteous? But isn't that where we get stuck? Don't you feel better about your relationship with God when you do good? Like somehow, God must love me a little bit better today because I woke up and I read my Bible and I prayed and I was actually nice to people. God must love me better. God must like me better today because I'm doing good. Can I tell you, that's a lie. God doesn't love you any better when you do better. He doesn't love you any less when you do less. 
God can't love you any less, period, because God is love. He's put all of his love upon you. That's the nature of grace. Our righteous standing with God has nothing dependent upon our good works. Which brings me to my second point. It says that belief, that belief that Abraham had was credited to his account. How did Abraham get his righteousness, in other words? It's kind of like uh, my wife, uh, she does some shopping on Amazon. I don't know if any of you guys ever do that online. Amazon, any of you guys? Any of you guys ever buy anything from Amazon? And so if she gets an item from Amazon that she's ordered, and it's not the right thing. She had it just recently where she ordered something, and it was a specific color. And she wanted that specific color. And it came, and it was a completely different color. Completely. And so she contacted Amazon online, and she went through all of this stuff, and they said, well, we can send you another one. Okay, but is it going to be our... Yes, it'll be the exact color that's on the uh, page that you see. She says, okay, good, send it to me. So they send her another one. It's the wrong color. And finally, in frustration, she says, this isn't working. Your color dyes don't match. And so they took the money she had paid and credited it to her account. And that's what it says about Abraham. It says his belief caused righteousness to be credited to his account. So uh, here's what the scripture says. Abraham was just, if Abraham, I'm sorry, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Let me paraphrase that for you. Ain't no bragging in heaven. No one in heaven is going to come up to you and say, you want to know how I got here? I got here the old-fashioned way. I earned it. No. Everyone is going to say the same thing. We all got here by the grace of God. That's the only way you get there. The grace of God. Not that it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be concerned with good works or righteous deeds. Because Paul tells us in Ephesians 2.10, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. In other words, God is saying He has intended from the very beginning that you should have some good works in your life. We weren't saved by good works, but we were saved for good works. So, the way I wanted to do this is I want to kind of break this up a little bit if I could. Knowing that God didn't owe Abraham righteousness, God gave it as a gift because Abraham believed God. So I want to break it up into some things. What I'm putting up here now are like three different people, if we could. Can you put that first one up? These are three people. First, you see a bad person, a good person, and a perfect person. So for our purposes today, let's just call the perfect person Jesus, if we can. That's Jesus. And the bad person, um, I'm looking around the room. All right, for the sake of everybody feeling some peace in their own soul, let's just call the bad person, for lack of a better name, let's call it Chris. Nobody you know, just call it Chris. And the good person, um, nah, none of you guys. All right, let's call, let's call the good person, uh, I don't know, Karen. Karen. Any old name. Okay. Now remember, we're talking about crediting things to our account. So you have to have crediting code then. If you've ever done any kind of bookkeeping, you have to have code that you use. So for our purposes, let's call the letter S sin. That's big S, sin. And let's call righteousness small r. Okay? 
Now, if you look at my life before Christ, my life before Christ, it didn't look very good, did it? That was my account. Full of sin. That's all I knew was sin. But I guarantee in there somewhere, I must have done at least one righteous deed or two, something like that. So whereas I had one or two hundred sins, I had one or two, maybe, righteousness acts. So that, that was me before Christ. Here's Karen, though. Karen grew up differently than me. She grew up with uh, a family. She is a fifth-generation full-time ministry person. In other words, five generations of her family have all been in the full-time ministry. Her father, her grandfather, her great-grandfather, and her great-great-grandfather all have been in full-time ministry. Karen never remembers a day when she didn't know Jesus. So she basically is just full of righteousness. But you know and I know that no one is perfect. We're not like Mary Poppins who's nearly perfect in every way. We've all got some kind of problem in our life. So we have to give Karen at least one little sin for that. So that's Karen and I before Christ. Now, I think some of you can identify more with my life than with Karen's life. Some of you, before Christ, you, you were a good old sinner and you were proud of it. You, you had a life that was just replete with junk with baggage. Some of you here will probably relate more to Karen than to me. You know that your life was basically a good life. I mean, whereas guys like me were repenting for um, and trying to get beyond addictions and immorality and gross sins, the worst thing that you ever do was caught maybe chewing gum in class or saying the word ain't. Uh, it was just like your life you, you, you relate more to Karen. But now let's put up Jesus because Jesus looks a little bit different than us all. Jesus only knew righteousness. He was born without sin and lived his entire life without sin. He's different than you or I have ever been. Now, if you think about it, when we're looking at this, and we're looking at Jesus, there's a difference between us, isn't there? There's a big difference between us. And that's what we all live with. That's the reality that we have in our lives. Now, the difference is simply this. Isaiah 64.6 says this. We are all like sheep. We're all unclean. And all our righteousness are as filthy rags. That's what it says. All of our righteousness is filthy rags. So as where in my code, the R, the small r, stood for righteousness, we come to find out that really the small r actually now refers to rags. So that whereas before, can you put up that last picture again? The one before? No, go back. There you go. Whereas before, when I looked at Karen's R's, I thought they referred to righteousness, but they don't. They refer to rags. She was no more righteous than I was before Christ. That's the truth of the Gospel. But how do I get righteousness into my account? Well, here's how it happened for me. One day, at Italy Naples Baptist Church, I heard a pastor preaching about our sin and our need for a Savior. And I heard that message and I believed him. I believe that Jesus was the Savior who could save me from my sin. 
He could not only take my sin and wash it away, but the Scripture says He takes all of His righteousness and He puts it into my account in the same way that Amazon puts the money into our account. Jesus took His righteousness and put it in our account. So this is actually what I look like after Jesus. That's me. And that's, by the way, also Karen, if I had taken her name and put it up there. After Jesus, all of his righteousness. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. Some of us think Jesus said, okay, it's all right. Just don't worry about it. Don't worry about a thing. And he kind of winks at us. But he doesn't do that. He takes all of our sin away and he puts all of his righteousness. Every bit. How much righteousness does Jesus have? And he took every bit of it and he put it in your account. But that's not all he did. The scripture says he took all of my sin and he put it upon himself, put it into his account so that Jesus hanging upon the cross looked just like that. All of your sin and all of my sin. Paul says, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The father looked at my account and said, you live. He looked at his son's account and said, you die. Because the soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. Which brings us to our third point. Number three. How did it get into our account? How did it get into Abraham's account? Because he believed God. That's what Romans 4.3 says. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. The struggle we have though is we think it's believing in God and just we've got to do a little bit more than that. I mean, I mean, yeah, I know that Jesus saved me from my sin, but don't I have to do something? Can't I do something? It's like when you take somebody out for dinner and you say, no, it's on me. They say, well, i got to do something. Can't I at least leave the tip? No, it's on me. I, I had breakfast with somebody this week, and I said, I got it. I said, I pay, you pray. So he prayed the blessing or the food, and I paid. But when it came time to pay, he says, no, i got to do something. That's how we are with Jesus. Can't I do a little bit of something? John 6, 28. They said to Jesus, this is the religious leaders, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? In other words, how do we get in right relationship with God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. They were asking about works, plural. Look at it, works, plural. In other words, what kinds of things can I do to give me right standing with God? And Jesus said there's only one work, singular. Believe God. And here's the amazing thing about the story of Abraham. We all know that Abraham believed God, and so we sing the song, Abraham had many sons. Many sons had father Abraham. We know that song. But what was Abraham like before he encountered God. Remember, Abraham had a voice speak to him out of nowhere. He'd never heard of God. He was a heathen man from a heathen city, from a heathen nation. Never heard of God. And a voice speaks to him and says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. You're going to be my son. And Abraham, never having heard that voice before, never knowing anything about God, believed God. But what was Abraham like before that? He was a heathen. What was Abraham like after he heard from God and believed in God? Well, he lied about his wife and said she was his sister so that his wife could sleep with a foreign king in order to save his own skin. 
That was Abraham after he became a Christian. He slept with his maid, his wife's handmaiden. He slept with his maid and had a child out of wedlock. That was Abraham after he knew God. That ought to give you some kind of comfort too to know, okay, in this life, none of us does everything perfectly. We sin. But John tells us, if you sin, no, no, he doesn't say that. He says, when you sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. And that's what Abraham had. One day, God revealed himself to Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to destroy you. I'm here to bless you and to make you my own. Never having heard of God, Abraham believed the voice. And my question to you today is, have you heard the voice? The voice of a Savior saying, I can save you. But it's not just to get your ticket punched for heaven. It's so that you can live in His grace every single moment of every day. We all know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But what about John 3.17? For God did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Jesus might be saved. God didn't come to condemn you. He came to save you. And if you believe that, God will take all of the sin out of your account, place it upon Jesus, and take all of his righteousness and place it upon you. So that even when you're having a bad day and you blow it, does it mean it doesn't matter? No, it matters. Did it matter for Dan when Dad would, Dan would do bad things in his family when he was having a bad day? Well, it didn't change his position in God, but it does affect his soul because the grace of God inside of us makes it difficult for us to sin. You can't just continue to live the way you used to. That's why people say to me all the time, well, if you preach grace, people are going to use it as lawlessness. But I think if you've really received grace, it makes it harder for you to sin. You can't stay the same way you were. What is all of this called? Well, for me, this whole message was called the righteousness of grace. God didn't just wink at this. He fulfilled the demands of his own law. And here's the danger for those of us who have been aware of this marvelous grace for 10 years or 20 years or 50 years. It's to think that we've been saved by his grace, but now we have to somehow make him know that it was a worthwhile sacrifice on his part. That how we live somehow makes it like he is satisfied that we were a good choice. When the truth is he didn't choose you because you were so good. In fact, Paul tells us that when it came time for God to make choices, he didn't pick the smart people. He didn't pick the best, the highest, the wealthiest, the smartest. He picked us. Because he knew we needed a Savior. Paul tells us in Galatians 3.3, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Are you going to try to fulfill in your flesh what God did by His Spirit, by His grace? By the way, that's exactly what Abraham tried to do. Years later, Abraham decided God had given him a promise to bless him and it hadn't happened, so he's going to take things into his own hands. And out of all of that came Ishmael. But the wonder of grace is that even taking that into consideration, grace still worked for Abraham. And Abraham is still used by God as an example of what it means to believe him. That's his promise to us. Would you stand with me? Amazing grace. That's what this is about.
that we would not only receive that grace for salvation, but we would walk in that grace every moment of every day. And that doesn't give us license to do dumb things, harmful things. That grace actually does something inside of our soul that makes us want to change. It's His grace that drives us every moment. Would you bow your heads? We sang it this morning. My chains fell off. I've been set free. Have you been set free today? Not just do you know about God. Not just have you heard about God. But do you know Him personally? Has He come and saved you and taken your sin away and given you His righteousness? That's what He's offering you today. But He's not only offering that, He's offering you to walk in His grace every moment of every day. From the moment you wake up until you lay your head upon your pillow, grace, grace, God's grace. Father, I pray that we here at Family Life Church would be not merely the recipients of grace, but we would be those who walk in grace and give grace away. In what we say and in how we live and what we do, that we would be more and more a culture of grace. Not based upon our performance, but based upon yours. Thank you for your grace to us today. Father, I believe you. I believe your word. I believe what you have promised. And receive it afresh in its fullness today. And I believe the same for my friends here. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of your day.